You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With J.P. McNamara on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103. And good morning. Welcome to Tuesday's Cork Today. Our lines are open 0818-103-103 or you can text or indeed WhatsApp 0862-103-103. You can email across the show corktoday at c103.ie and ahead this morning we're going to hear why we need a new way of thinking when it comes to ambulance times and we always hear about those ambulances who go along to the emergency departments. They have to wait then while they bring in patients to the hospitals and that is having a knock-on effect on the response time is when something else will happen in various parts of the city and county. So David Hall of Lifeline Ambulance Services has got figures on waiting times for ambulances at our EDs and he'll join us shortly on the programme. Also, if you were out and about over the Easter, you're sure either here in Cork or elsewhere, you would have come across buskers on streets. Well, it seems now Cork City could be about to crack down on busking. Recently in Killarney, it was announced that enforcement officers we're going to monitor busking in the town or we're going to speak this morning to the mayor in Killarney that is Councillor Niall Kelleher on what is proposed there and what is going to come into effect this summer in Killarney. And also, if you have fought cancer and gone for a mortgage, you will have more than likely struggled to get life insurance. Now, cancer survivors are to gain from the insurance sector introducing the right to be forgotten move. Uh, we'll hear more about that later. We'll be joined by the Irish Cancer Society to discuss. We'll also going to hear more on how a statue of Michael Collins is to be placed on the Grand Parade in the city centre. And our regular councillor, Joe Heffernan, he'll join us at 12.30 today and we're going to be discussing an issue that is uh, really in the last three to four years become a huge issue for employers and indeed employees. This is the work to life balance and how we can get around this and uh, have a balance in our lives where the work gets done but also we don't exclude or ignore family commitments or our own social commitments or that you're not working the whole time but how can that be done in a very busy world we live in today and also you may also always hear Kin on our breakfast show in the mornings giving away smart speakers well a report on smart speakers it seems that some accents are not recognised by smart speakers we'll hear more about that later on the programme if you have one do you find your smart speaker sometimes just simply cannot understand you and maybe some accents are tougher to understand than others but then some would say some accents are nicer than others it opens up a whole debate really on accents doesn't it anyhow that report on smart speakers to come as well plus much more uh, between now and one and your views are welcome as always Bernie standing by taking those calls 0818103103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862103103 you can always send your voice notes as well via WhatsApp if you wish to comment on something we're discussing this morning and John is first in uh, on uh, WhatsApp and this is a report in the Irish Examiner this morning and it's to do with how nearly 14,000 people uh, were left within the Irish emergency departments and they left the ANEs. Basically they were sitting there, they went in for one reason or another uh, but while they waited for treatment, they left without being treated and this seemingly is just in the first two months of this year and while the figure represents a drop on those in 2022, 
It is an increase of over 2,000 on the pre-pandemic months of January and February of 2020. And while the HSC, they say that some patients may leave before triage or after triage or prior to a decision to admit or discharge them home, the figures for many have been called as frightening. Uh, No surprise, we get calls here nearly on a daily basis now from people uh, for one reason or another who have admitted themselves to A&E or have gone to A&E following their GP advising them to go there. They go in, uh, they explain their symptoms, they sit down and they wait. And they wait and they wait and they can be there for eight, nine, ten hours until they realise they are sitting there getting, making themselves worse, many tell us, and then they just leave as they can't see a way out for them in the hospital. They can't see how they'll be seen in three, four or five hours time. So the best thing they feel they can do is just leave the hospital. And these figures are reflecting on what we're hearing. Uh, the figures were released to Sinn Féin's health spokesperson, David Cullinan, and for hospitals in Cork, Kerry and Tipperary, they account for just over 16,000 of the patients leaving without treatment, while at the University Hospital in Limerick alone accounts for 881. It also shows that the scale of hospital appointment cancellations that remains above 40,000 for the first two months of this year. And just on the EDs, while they're cancelling arranged hospital appointments, the purpose of the emergency department is to deal with you know, a serious or an unexpected illness or an injury. So many people who go along, you know, for clinical needs, uh, either addressed, maybe some could be addressed by, you know, pharmacists. We've heard pharmacists before saying they can do so much more for the community that will reduce the impact on GPs and indeed on the A&Es. GP out of our services could also have a part to play on this along with GPs. But then how many people come to us again and say they go into their GP if you're lucky enough to get an appointment, which we heard on Friday's show, if you can fight, first of all, for an appointment with your GP, then you get one. Many patients are being told by their own GP that they cannot treat them, go to A&E. And what happens? Many do go to A&E and then you have a backlog in A&E like we're hearing about now. Uh, so it's kind of a round circle effect in the health service while they are saying that, you know, go to your GP first. Many GPs are sending people to A&Es and, and this is causing a backlog in the system. Uh, with this in mind, the figures come as the HSC has warned of increasing pressures on hospitals from today uh, following a holiday weekends of emergency care. So those figures could be higher this week. Uh, we'll get to those shortly because we have an email in as well uh, from a person who had to ring an ambulance over the weekend for their father. I'll get to that shortly as we discuss the situation with ambulance waiting times. Also, some more news uh, making headlines today. And these are the teacher conferences that are underway in Killarney, Wexford and in Silver Springs here in Cork. And teachers are demanding another pay rise and want earnings to match the highest level of inflation or indeed double the current rate. Uh, the Education Minister, Norma Foley, will be told that today. An additional pay increase for teachers, well that would cost the state a further 280 million euros at least, which would though, if you look at those figures, be enough to employ 7,000 additional teachers if those teachers started on a new starting salary of 40,000 euros a year. Uh, One of the reasons that there is a shortage of teachers is the low rate of pay for when you are starting off, more so for those in the east of the country who may be uh, assigned to teaching posts in Dublin or that area where the cost of rent is so high it just doesn't add up to go for a job in Dublin if you're on a low rate of pay and you could be paying eight, nine hundred euros for a room in a house share so that is one of the issues there 
And when it comes to the lack of teachers in the Dublin area, uh, the INTO say that the pay rise they are looking for is indeed to counter the housing crisis along with the rising cost of living. Uh, but the Minister for Education, Norma Foley, uh, at the moment she's saying she will not engage in further pay talks as there already is a current agreement in place and that is going to run until the end of the year. And they have addressed uh, different effects of inflation in the budget and also planned for the next budget. So we'll wait and see. And I'm sure we'll chat with some of those unions reps over the next uh, few days uh, while they go and demand for better conditions for teachers across the country. Uh, Joe Biden, you'll have heard of this. He is on the way. The US president, he's flying into Belfast later this evening and then he is going to engage uh, along with Northern Ireland, Dublin, uh, to Mayo and indeed Louth and uh, one pub in Louth. Well, they have promised to pour a pint of a Guinness Zero Zero for him uh, because he's a non-drinker. He doesn't drink. Uh, so to get that famous photo, uh, this Louth pub has decided that they will pour for him a Guinness Zero Zero and he could have a, a taste of the black stuff while he won't be drinking alcohol. It will also pose for a picture up. That's uh, in today's Irish Sun. We'll see if he will go for that or not, as he is seemingly a big non-drinker. And for a lot of people in this country, while we hear uh, about the Easter weekend and how people were out and enjoying themselves, a lot of surveys out today. And one of those shows that three in five people across the country feel lonely. And this is according to uh, a major survey that has shone light on the mental health of adults. Now, this study of 2000 adults has been published as part of an international survey on mental health. And it found that 60 percent of males and 67 percent of females have felt lonely only in the weeks prior to taking this survey, while 52% often feel overwhelmed by factors beyond their control. Now, it also revealed that 21% of people had experienced extremely severe or severe symptoms of stress in the week before uh, contributing to this study. And over half a men surveyed, they agreed that they never felt their ability has been doubted or undervalued because of their gender. However, just 21% of females agreed with that statement. And then there was some positive findings within this survey. Uh, They found that in the respondents, 53% said they strongly agreed uh, with the sentiment that they're happier these days and happier in themselves, while 62% also strongly agreed uh, that they often experience joy or elation. So it wasn't all bad, plenty of joy in there as well. People are happier, uh, but also uh, people are lonely and stressed. It's a big thing in today's world uh, that uh, people are lonely and stressed. And staying with surveys, something you'd have no surprise, I'm sure, with this survey. And this is coming from the Compliance Institution because it seems that one in every two people are now targeted with spam calls or texts and it's happening every month. Uh, A number of people have been taking part in this survey and over 1,000 adults that spoke to the Compliance Institute, they feel that maybe the reason they are getting these spam calls and texts is because they feel their personal data has been illegally shared or leaked and there's been a lot of hackings and leakings over the last two or three years so no surprise we're getting an increase in those type of spam calls and texts. Anyhow, your views are welcome. 0818-103-103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Our health service, I'll get to that shortly regarding an email we got from Emily on what happened to her over the weekend when she rang for an ambulance for her father. And that ties in with those figures released today uh, on how people are going into A&E, but then because they're waiting so long, they leave A&E. But what can happen for the ambulances then uh, who are outside waiting 
to bring those patients into the emergency department. We'll speak with David Hall also shortly on the programme this morning. And your views are welcome. You can email us as well across the show, corktoday at c103.ie. You can email us across the show or indeed 24-7, corktoday at c103.ie, as did Emily over the weekend. And something we're going to discuss shortly, this is to do with ambulance response times and how that can be improved when patients go along to the EDs or A&Es. Emily says, I live in West Cork and I rang for an ambulance over the weekend. I know it's Easter weekend, but still we had to ring. And can I just say, Emily says, first of all, the ambulance staff and the paramedics were unbelievable. But it took an hour and a half for the ambulance to arrive. Now, thankfully, they treated my dad at home and then took him to hospital where he is doing well. But still, anything could have happened in that hour and a half. It felt like a week to all of us. I am thankful to the staff, but something needs to be done about response times to outer areas of Cork, uh, says Emily on email to corktoday at c103.ie. Well, Emily, hopefully your dad is doing a lot better today and uh, is coming around within the hospital. But it is an anxious time when, like Emily, you ring the ambulance and you're waiting and a good point she makes there in that email even though it was an hour and a half to everybody in the household who was waiting for the ambulance it felt like a week because you were afraid something will go wrong in that hour and a half and a lot of that could change where an ambulance can get out of the hospital faster to go to outer areas like where Emily was uh, living at the weekend when she was home in her home place in West Cork and that can happen by thinking outside the box something that David Hall of the Lifeline Ambulance has been speaking about over the weekend and he will join us next Email Patricia now with your story or comment Cork today at c103.ie today on C103. Again this morning we heard from a listener who was waiting for an ambulance at the weekend and ambulance staff as always outlined you know they are caught up within the A&E at a city hospital. David Hall from Lifeline Ambulance joins me this morning. Good morning to you David. Good morning. You obtained figures under the Freedom of Information and they showed there was almost 239 instances where an ambulance spent more than a half an hour at a hospital last year before offloading a patient and then getting back on the road. I mean, you know, all those 30 minutes, they all add up, David. Yeah, they do. And and the two worst hospitals actually were Cork University Hospital and Mercy Hospital. Um, you know, these these lengths of time. And the question that was asked actually was a very specific question. It's worthwhile clarifying because it's I think it's worse. I think the situation in the story is a lot worse than the information was given back. The the there was an error in the question in my mind. <clears throat> the question only related to thirty minutes on the assumption one of the news talk journalists asked the question, thinking there wouldn't be many more detail about above 30 minutes and the numbers came back as being very very significant but i think when you dig into them if they were given in full color which is like one hour two hours and three hours i think they would be far more frightening so this has a knock-on effect ambulances and the ambulance control staff and the national ambulance service obviously dispatch an ambulance to an emergency call they transport the hospital to the local emergency department and they then have no visibility on how long it is going to take for that ambulance to be back released again, ready to treat more patients. It's a crazy situation. It's been one that's been ongoing. The emergency department staff are flat out and inundated, and this week and today will begin a very busy week for them post a bank holiday. And the same thing again with the ambulance service. And this has a knock-on effect 
for ambulance service response times, which you've spoken about on many occasions, JP. Yeah, David, and I mean, we had an email from Emily who rang for her father at the weekend. The ambulance took an hour and a half to reach her. Now, she's in an outer area of West Cork. Again, the paramedics and the ambulance staff were fantastic, but they're under so much pressure. And when I read that email, Barry in the Ballonhastic area sent a text in. Like Emily, he rang at the weekend for his mother and the ambulance took an hour to come out to them, took the mother to CUH and eventually, you know, the mother is fine and Emily's father is doing well. But it's that time before the ambulance reaches the home where the family are just thinking the worst could happen. And I mean, Emily put it very well. She says an hour and a half for them felt like a week. No, it does. And and believe me, for, for my colleagues and friends in the National Ambulance Service, it feels the exact same for them. Uh, and I say this is a very difficult, like we have uh, undoubtedly the best ambulance service staff in the world. And that was absolutely clearly evident during COVID with the flexibility and the nimbleness of how everyone adapted quietly and behind the scenes and, and, and really helped through the pandemic. And on a day-to-day basis, that's what we do. And that's what the ambulance staff do in all ambulance services in the state, both the National Ambulance Service. And, and to have people under a bit of pressure, and don't forget the ambulance service staff have to arrive upon those situations where people have been left waiting they don't know whether their, their loved one is very very sick or not and uh, the national ambulance service have dedicated and excellently trained staff who do prioritize calls and the difficulty is there's too many sick people calling in and this used to be a situation where and still is to a certain degree where the ambulance service is abused by a handful of people where they call in but the trained staff filter through those calls and try and identify people who are genuinely sick but unfortunately when a number of people call in who are genuinely sick at the same time and your resources are limited and you've got delays in the emergency department, that is a cocktail and it's a very, very dangerous cocktail and one that unfortunately harms people and costs lives. There seems to be a circle effect here within the health service because GPs who are struggling as well and you know we've, we've heard in rural areas that they can't find GPs to work in these areas. Uh, some GPs are advising patients when they ring to go to A&E or to contact the ambulance service if they can't drive there. And not all GPs but some are if you're lucky enough to get an appointment. That is having a knock-on effect then as well. That's pushing more people into the one location. It is. And again, there is a triage system. People have a, a sort of a myth where they think if they arrive in an ambulance, they will be seen treat, treat, seen and treated quicker, which is complete, a complete fallacy um, where, you know, there's a professional triage staff in the emergency departments who will triage people. The difficulty is they have a big volume of people to triage. And, and in, in, in that process, as you say, there's a circular effect. And we have a health service that has a winter plan in place. And I, I believe internally the CEO correctly, in my view, the new CEO, Bernard Gloucester, has mentioned that this winter plan that's in place at the moment, which has ramped things up, okay, it's had an effect, it's had a positive effect. Is it the silver bullet? No, it's not. But it most certainly is a winter plan that needs to be an all-year-round plan, not just a winter plan. And additional resources are needed, more efficiencies are needed. But ultimately, staff are very, very tired after COVID. Many people had a lot a lot of difficult time during COVID. Health service staff, as with retail staff and other staff, had a very difficult time during COVID. And straight on the back of COVID, you have a health service bursting at the seams with people who are sick. We have a 5 million population. This is not brain surgery, by the way, JP. Like I'm, I'm giving information here that I think is, is common sense. And many people will be listening saying, hey, yeah, sure, we all know that, David. Like we have 5 million people in the population. But we have a health service designed for 4 million. Those two numbers don't simply react to we've got an older population. So when you have all those, those things combined, having the exact same resources and the exact same number of beds you had in place uh, 10 years ago just doesn't cut it.
Has the HSC target times when you look at the figures that were obtained? Do they have a target time for the ambulances to and from the location they come from to the hospital in question? No, and I think to be fair, the ambulance service have made every effort to try and help. They've put uh, their own manager, managerial staff. Uh, it's a crazy situation when you think about it now that I'm saying it, but they actually had to put their own managerial staff in and out of emergency departments to ensure and help the flow of their own staff coming through the emergency department. There are emergency measures I think they could have taken. I think um, you know they could have set up a temporary holding place outside the emergency department with other other trained staff to hand over to their colleagues while they're waiting to be admitted and while the patients were waiting to be triaged, thus releasing the ambulance. Particularly at times, that's fine, JP, if one call comes in where there's three ambulances available, but if all three ambulances are out on a call and the fourth ambulance is now at the emergency department waiting to hand over a patient, there must be a backup system that releases that ambulance. There must be a triage system outside the hospital where their own colleagues from the National Ambulance Service or elsewhere can <clears throat> can take a handover and release that ambulance and release that stretcher back into the emergency system again. You cannot have a community left waiting because of a circular knock-on effect. It's it's too dangerous and will cost lives and will cost harm. And as I say, it's stressful on everybody, not just the patient and the relatives, but also the emergency department staff and the ambulance staff. This is a very, very difficult set of circumstances for everybody to to deal with. And yes, on regular occasions, correctly, patients and their relatives contact yourselves and many other programmes. Uh, but this has a massive knock-on effect to ambulance service staff as well. And do you think here in Cork, from your own experience with Lifeline, given the size of the county, the geographical location of some areas of Cork, is it under more pressure because of the length of time it can take for an ambulance to get, let's say, from far north Cork, from the areas like Rock Chapel and Ballydesmond or further west along the Beira Peninsula? It could take three hours from the Beira Peninsula to the city. That that surely is having an effect then on, on the overall health service and ambulance waiting times. No, it has. And, and, and Cork is very fortunate in one respect that it is served by, uh, you know, one of the best um, sort of uh, pre-hospital response teams uh, in the country and through the charity Critical and formerly with the Air Ambulance uh, mm. through that charity as well. And indeed, first responder groups throughout uh, Cork County which makes a huge difference. And that is the same where there's a massive reliance upon those voluntary groups throughout the country um, to step in, uh, in with intervention for the HSC and supported by the HSC National Ambulance Service to help. And those community groups now, I feel, are uh, really, really invaluable. And there was a time where many people questioned their, their, their need. And now they've become exceptionally critical because they do allow for um, a, a sort of intervention, an immediate intervention at a community level while waiting for the ambulance to dispatch. And I think, to be fair to the National Ambulance Service, there's a crude um, assessment being made in relation to a response time of an ambulance. Uh, other jurisdictions have moved on a bit more maturely and have decided to look at the uh, clinical outcome of the patients to make sure that the correct response was given um, at, in a timely manner. So there's a few variances that need to be taken into consideration there. But ultimately, we don't have enough ambulances. We don't have enough ambulance staff. And we have a difficult dysfunctional system currently in place where emergency department staff, ambulance service staff are under immense pressure. And unfortunately, the knock-on effect to that becomes a risk to the community and a risk to patients. And your solution to this will be, well, one of those is to set up a temporary ambulance based in around the area of A&E. Yeah, just outside, like the, you know, in the event of an emergency, there's there's part of, <clears throat> uh, you know, field hospitals that are established and you erect a field hospital in areas where, and they can be erected and taken down the same day. These were the same centres that we used for COVID, the hmm. same centres that we used for swabbing, same centres that we used for vaccinations. And the HSE and the National Ambulance Service have them. They're ideal. 
and they can be popped up and popped down. They're pop up uh, effectively field hospitals, and they can be used for triaging there. And some will say, yes, you'll have an additional accumulation out of the car park. Yes, you will, but you most certainly will release your ambulances back into the emergency system for those critically ill. Remember, this is about those most ill. This is about saving their lives, preserving their life, and having a longer-term effect and making sure they're around for a lot longer. This is not about just having an ambulance resource straight into the community for the sake of moving somebody. This is an emergency ambulance, a frontline ambulance, staffed by professional paramedics and advanced paramedics. You want them available and ready to come and get you the time you need to get them. You don't want them sitting in a corridor in an emergency department waiting to hand over a patient. And have you approached the HSC or the Department of Health with this solution? We have, and indeed one of my colleagues in another um, uh, private ambulance service, to be fair to them, uh, did so during COVID also and immediately after COVID and made the proposal to um, the HSE, the National Ambulance Service. And also, I think, you know, on a, on a biased basis, we're, we're currently, I have nine ambulances every day working with the National Ambulance Service, moving patients into hospital. And, uh, you know, I think that's been working very, very well. And uh, my colleagues in the other private ambulance services also have ambulances uh, on during this winter plan being uh, hired to move patients on a longer term basis. My own personal view is biased as it might be. We have intermediate care um, providers with the ambulance service, uh, National Ambulance Service. All of those staff should be dedicated to emergency calls. And I would say this, but we would privatise all of the routine transfers. Let the National Ambulance Service do the emergency calls. There is no justifiable reason why all calls have to be answered by two paramedics on an ambulance. Our paramedic course is too long. It's too complex. It's too complicated by comparison to other jurisdictions. And we need a full independent audit of all of the actual drugs that are required to be used by paramedics in the last two years. We have the electronic patient report forms. We need to modify the system, modify the service and adapt to ensure we don't cut corners, but we ensure we give staff the best form of development, more staff into the ambulance service, more patients saved, more patients looked after. Indeed, well, we'll wait and see if the uh, HSC or indeed the Department of Health do uh, pick up on this and decide to go with uh, your solution for the moment, David. Thanks for joining us this morning on the programme. Thanks, JP. Thank you. David Hall there from the Lifeline Ambulance Group and indeed, as he mentioned, other uh, private ambulance operators who are looking at a way now where they can future-proof the ambulance service by way of having those temporary setups outside the A&E. That should hopefully improve uh, the ambulance response times, not not by 100%, but at least it will improve it uh, regarding having an ambulance parked up outside the A&E unit for an hour, an hour and a half. At least they'll be able to drop a patient off, go that patient go to a temporary service where the ambulance can go back then and travel the length and breadth of Cork, wherever they need to go to. Uh, your views are welcome on this. 0818 103 103. Bernie taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862103103. And on that, somebody, and actually a lot of texts in, but on WhatsApp, uh, this person saying if the GP service was better, then maybe people would not be going to the hospitals. While Derek saying, I went to my GP over the weekend. Eventually, I got treated and I got antibiotics, which I needed because I am feeling much better today. But the first thing my GP said to me was, maybe you need to go to the hospital. I did not want to go to the hospital. All I knew myself is I needed medication to get over this bad flu that I seemingly had. Uh, as I say, I am feeling much better. But why are GPs pushing people to hospitals? They are under pressure, but something needs to be done. Uh, says Derek on WhatsApp. You can text also 0862103103. Now, if you're out and about across the weekend, I'm sure you would have come across a number of buskers. And it seems now in Cork City, they're going to crack down on busking because it happened in Killarney recently. It'll come into effect in June. 
June. Uh, but we're going to hear what exactly they're going to do in Killarney. The Mayor of Killarney, Niall Kelleher, joins us next. Court today on C103. Busking forms a big part of our streets and in Killarney, councillors are looking to bring enforcement around busking in place. Now it seems Cork is also looking to Killarney on how this will work. Councillor Niall Kelleher, Mayor of Killarney, joins me. Good morning to you, Niall. Good morning. So what are the plans in Killarney regarding the regulation of buskers? Yeah, look, and several years ago, guidelines were brought in and there was a difficulty in relation to those guidelines being adhered to by uh, some, not all of the buskers uh, in the town. Therefore, it was decided that more stringent uh, bylaws would be brought in to enforce and effectively regulate the issues uh, that were being arisen out of busking. It's important to note that buskers are welcome in Killarney and this is not meant to uh, drive buskers out of Killarney. We just want there to be some regulation in relation to the hours that they're playing, the length of time that they're playing uh, and uh, the use of foul language and uh, other um, crude or crass uh, commentary by those that are busking. Was there any mention regarding amps? As I know some retail workers or those just shopping sometimes feel the amps can be too loud and the noise from them can be too loud. Yeah, certainly. It's regulated at 80 decibels and look, there were the enforcement officers that are employed in the county that are involved in all the other enforcement issues uh, will have sound monitors if they're needed. But look, quality busking, I appreciate you won't get all the sounds Um, without amplification but I think you can do a very good quality performance without the need of amplification for um, for busking in the town. And when I mentioned any town. any town indeed, when I mentioned retail workers there, uh, some always tell us over the years, you know, they constantly hear the same song over and over. If someone is singing that song in the same spot all day, w- will that form part of these new laws that they will have to be yes, in different yes, locations? Mo- mo- most certainly, mo- most certainly, that is one of that is one of the very big difficulties that uh, people not having uh, a sufficient um, effectively uh, choice of music to be playing um, and that's, that is a difficulty that we've had and faced in Killarney as well and that's all fine if you're walking past and you hear one, two or three minutes of it and you come back maybe an hour later and hear the same thing again but if you're inside in a shop um and it's continuous for the entire day, then that's a very big difficulty. Is that going to be part of the enforcement officer to listen to what they're singing and, and ask them to either move on or, or uh, leave look, the area? It, let, let, let's be clear, this is going to work with people following the rules and guidelines that are set out. Um, part of what is brought in, which is probably different from other parts of Ireland, is a permit. It will be a nominal fee uh, for the um, administration of the permit. It will be in place for 12 months. Uh, but most importantly, you sign up in the permit that you're signing up um, to the guidelines or to the rules that are in place. And one of them is that you have a sufficient, um, effectively, album of songs uh, to be uh, entertaining people with. And if, look, if people are going to be ringing in, and as you say, it's somebody inside in the shop to an enforcement officer saying that um, Fairy Tale in New York is being sung over and over and over in the middle of July, I think it is kind of irate people. <laughs> Yeah, it would it would indeed. With the permit you mentioned there, there I presume then they'll be told these designated areas where they can bus. So there'll be some streets where you'll see buskers and then some streets where they just can't go along and set up themselves. Well, uh, look, no, the, the, the streets 
that are in place are, are the ones that have a permit. They're the ones with high footfall. There's no permit holding in the other streets, uh, but more importantly, they don't have high footfall. So people are going to, to want to be there. So, uh, you know, but people can make a bit of income out of this um, and they have been doing, hence why it's been a very popular place to do so. With regards to the future then of regulating this, we're mentioning enforcement officers there. Are they employed by the local council in Kerry or yeah, how is that look, working? Look, the, the, the enforcement officers in Kerry County Council, there's one per municipal district. Uh, they've been involved in different things during the year, planning, planning permissions, hedge cutting, parking, uh, and any others, uh, and we obviously have um, parking wardens, uh, traffic wardens as well, and they'll all be involved in the whole process and the entirety of of the administration of the municipal district. So that that that'll be the in, the, the enforcement plus on Garda Shikana. And I presume when you were discussing this, uh, did you engage or somebody engage with buskers on the streets on what they would want? I went out for public consultation, and, and um, you know, look, problems were because we want buskers to be there, but we don't want people busking up until eleven and twelve o'clock at night. We don't want them in the same place all day long. We don't want foul language. So, you know, it was really to ensure that, that the things that were being done that shouldn't be done uh, would be prohibited. Well, you mentioned timing. There is there going to be like a curfew on when they can perform? Yeah, and not nine, perform? N- nine p.m. 9pm. Everybody has a different musical tastes. I, I don't know how you could handle this, but if there is bad singers uh, on the streets, uh, how do you approach that when if someone basically uh, can't sing? You'll have no X Factor style <laughs> situation but, um, you know, I, I I think if a person can't sing, then they're not going to be able to have a, a sufficient repertoire of stuff uh, to sing. So I think that'll weed itself out through through the time. There's no one going to be saying you can't do any one particular type of music or anything. So that'll all come out really over time. And when is this enforcement? Is it underway or is it, when is it due to come underway? First of June. It's adapted from the 1st of June. Well, best of luck to all the buskers. As you say, buskers are welcome still, of course, in Killarney. Most but now we'll have to be... Yeah. We'd yeah. like to see bandstands and stuff as well. To grow busking in a way. Yeah, yeah. Best of luck with it, Niall, and best Thank of luck to the much. buskers there in Thank Killarney. And I know Cork City Council are looking towards you guys, so I'm sure we'll see something similar over the next while in Cork City. But for the moment, uh, Councillor Niall Callagher, Mayor of Killarney, thanks for joining us this morning. Hello to Maura in Bally Desmond, who was one of our lucky winners last week, and she spent the day on Sunday at the Cork Race Course in Mallow for the Racing Home for Easter Festival, and she had a fantastic day. So thank you, Maura, uh, for your WhatsApp and all our winners, and indeed everybody who went along I saw pictures across the weekends of the C103 Street Fleet were there with Ken Parrish and the gang and you can check out the photos maybe you're in them on the C103 Facebook or indeed C103 on Insta but a good weekend was had overall a busy one too in Mallow and indeed at the Cork Racecourse for the Racing Home for Easter Festival and well done to all there uh, a lot of calls and comments in on the way we will be discussing the issue for so many people who have fought cancer but when they go along to get a mortgage you do struggle uh, trying to get life insurance well now cancer survivors are to gain uh, from this new initiative from the insurance sector it's called the Right to Be Forgotten Move and we'll be joined by the Irish Cancer Society on the programme uh, shortly to discuss that but on calls and comments in first of all to do with ambulance waiting times that we discussed earlier with David Hall from Lifeline Ambulance and we heard from listeners and their experience across the weekend when they went to ring an ambulance for their parents we heard from Barry in the Ballinahasic area an hour for his mother and then 
Emily in the uh, she describes it far west Cork so I would imagine uh, Sheep's Head Bearer Peninsula that area of west Cork whereby it took an hour and a half for the ambulance to come for her father and they all have said that even though it is an hour and a half it felt like a week to them as they sit down watching their loved one in pain while they wait for an ambulance everybody though has said the amazing work the ambulance crew do and the paramedics who accompany them it's not their fault it's just the general health service and the way it's run uh, but on this Jared is in Mallow he says JP I was in the UK recently and I had a medical emergency it was a hernia strangulated a hernia which my GP had warned me if it happened I was to seek help immediately as it can be fatal so in London where Jared was he could not even get an ambulance never mind a long wait for one he had to get into a taxi to the hospital with a long wait there for treatment so this kind of system puts our long waits here in Ireland into perspective indeed Jared and thank you for your WhatsApp and many people will tell you that while we are having problems here it is a problem right across the world not only here in Ireland when it comes to our health service and ambulance response times a lot of it is to do with the increasing populations in many countries and you can see that too in the UK and you'll hear criticism if you ever watch any of the UK news channels the NHS always does come in for criticism a bit like maybe the HSC not the workers but the way it's run And that is the case for many health systems right across the world. And staying on that, Martin is agreeing with David Hall. Uh, He's saying, yes, David is correct. There isn't enough ambulances for the growing population here in Ireland. However, there are alternatives in medicine which may be of help. For example, acupuncture and more. These treatments can nip most problems in the bud if administered correctly uh, to manifesting into something catastrophic down the line so they can be looked at. They may help people without everybody going to their GPs or indeed then into A&E. Martin, thank you for that. A lot of people would agree there are alternatives if you are lucky enough to be able to use an alternative for your ailment. Thank you for your WhatsApp to 0862103103 and we spoke uh, just before 11 with the Mayor of Killarney, Councillor Niall Kelleher and what they are proposing there in Killarney to crack down on what you would call maybe bad busking or buskers in areas where they should not be. Now overall it isn't a major problem but there is some that do cause problems and some retail workers can be hearing the same song for six hours or maybe three songs of the same for maybe six hours and loud amps which can be a turn off but while Clarny is introducing this in June Cork City now are looking towards Kerry to see can they bring in similar laws to deal with busking in and around Cork City and I'm sure other towns then across Cork County will do the same but on this Elner is in Carrig Line and Elner was in Covey yesterday to see the liner of course all the liners are coming in now for the summer season uh, to both Cove and indeed in Bantry and there was a huge one arrived yesterday to Cove a lot of pictures online and indeed in the papers this morning of that and while she was in Cove yesterday there was a busker in the park and Elner says he was world class he was singing and got several standing ovations so I'm not too sure who that busker was maybe you were in Cove maybe you know the busker maybe you are the busker Uh, text or whatsapp us in or call Bernie and 0818103103 we'd love to find out who was busking yesterday in the park in Cove as the liner was coming in the cruise liners will be coming in now for the next while uh, but well done to that person if you were there let us know uh, and we'd love to find out who that was yesterday in Cove and Matt is in Mallow Matt goes to Clarny a lot he likes the street music but does not like people begging on the streets uh, like in many other areas and cities uh, thank you Matt in Mallow that is something a lot of people uh, are 
facing these days when they do go into, and you've seen a lot in, in city areas, but more so now in towns as well, like Killarney, uh, where people are coming up to you, uh, begging, asking for money. It can be a turn off. Uh, many people do avoid certain streets because they know they're beyond those streets. I know people who avoid the city centre because of the begging uh, that goes on. Some can be very forceful. So yeah, Matt, I think a lot of people would agree with you on that. Uh, the begging has, uh, would you say, gone out of control in many areas of our towns and cities, not only here in Cork, but across Ireland, in a way, uh, wherever you go. I mean, mainly before we would have heard of this in, in major cities and you would have seen it in Dublin and then it crept into Cork. But now it seems to be everywhere where people are coming up looking for money. And I think it's just the forcefulness of uh, you're walking down the street minding your own business and next thing a person is in your face asking for money, asking for two euro for a coffee or one euro for this. And you'd wonder really... Do they need uh, the two euro for the coffee? And where is that two euro really going? Anyhow, Matt, thank you for your call. Uh, you heard there on the news and I mentioned that regarding the INTO, the teacher unions are looking for pay increases uh, for their members to deal with the cost of living and indeed the accommodation crisis that many face in the east, well, all across Ireland, but in the east of the country, in, in Dublin, where teachers are appointed to areas of Dublin and they find it hard to get accommodation due to the low wages, first of all, they are on. Accommodation is quite high expensive in Dublin, uh, as it is here in Cork as well. There's not much of a difference uh, between Cork and Dublin now when it comes to expenses if you drill down into it, but they want better pay uh, for all. So Miriam in Bandon is asking, on that INTO meeting, this one is going ahead in Killarney, who is paying for their stay in Killarney for three days? Is it the union or do they have to pay themselves? And she feels, Miriam feels, that the long career breaks should be stopped. It's no wonder young teachers can't get full-time jobs when other teachers are holding their jobs open for when they decide to come back, uh, Miriam says in Bandon. I think some would agree with you regarding the fact that you have a lot of teachers who do leave for four to five years, uh, do something else, which they are entitled to do. Many go travelling, many will go to um, and spend time in Australia teaching, maybe if they're lucky enough to do that, or elsewhere in the world. Some go into politics and become TDs or maybe councillors and leave the teaching alone and go back to it then uh, four to five years later. Uh, But then if there's someone in their role filling in for them more or less, well, you know, they will be only filling in. And when that person returns to teaching, then the person who was in that role will be moved elsewhere if they're lucky enough to get a position elsewhere, depending on what is available to them. And it all goes down to a panel as far as I know on a teaching panel. I do presume that panel is still in place. Anyhow, uh, regarding the INTU and the Killarney stay, uh, if I, I presume you mean, Miriam, the teachers that are going along to this, uh, many of them would pay themselves, but there would be a kind of a corporate rate as in many of the hotels uh, outside of teaching unions. If a company wants to book a hotel or wants to book something for uh, a staff or for a training or whatever, many hotels do offer corporate rates. So there's a better deal for the bigger companies and I I think that's the way roughly it works with the INTO and other unions that when they book a place for a conference like they are doing in Killarney a rate will be put in place and then the teachers that would go along would pay themselves but would have a a different rate of pay uh, for the rooms there but any teachers I know that go along to those conferences anyhow do pay themselves and usually there's a corporate rate but that would be common enough in private work practices as well and as for the INTO union themselves I presume they pay 
pay like the teachers do or maybe the union covers the costs. I'm not too sure. I know the union has brought back the, the pay decreases that happened for the union reps. That has been brought back to the level it was at uh, because many of them uh, took a decrease in pay during the pandemic and beforehand that's back up now again. So uh, I, I do presume they pay or pay something towards the cost anyhow, Miriam. But thank you for your call. Does she make a good point though uh, when it comes to younger teachers who can't get full-time jobs, mainly because older teachers are holding up the positions when they go into career breaks. Your views are welcome on that. And Jerry is in Middleton and this is on the Ukrainian refugees who are here in Ireland. Uh, Jerry was reading in the papers yesterday about the millions that is spent per week uh, on those refugees and what has been spent since the start of the war. And he wants to know, is the money coming from taxpayers or are we getting help from Europe? Because Jerry feels, how can we keep affording millions every week or every month or every year uh, on those coming and fleeing war to Ireland? Well, on this journey, this is first of all from uh, Minister Michael McGrath, who was speaking last summer uh, to reporters in East Cork. And he said that the money being spent on those who were fleeing war, uh, those Ukrainian refugees, there was first of all a one billion funding for this. And that was coming out of a special contingency fund set up by the government to provide for emergencies like the war in Ukraine. Also, Ireland was part of a collective European decision and this was to provide accommodation for people fleeing the war in Ukraine and they will continue, uh, Michael McGrath said, to honour its international commitments. But then he was asked about this also in the Dáil and the EU has introduced a range of flexible uh, flexibilities to address with the impact of Ukrainian refugees into all European countries that are under the EU and this is covered and the money will be covered by the Cohesion Action of Refugees in Europe. It's known as CARE. In addition to this, Ireland receives existing funding under the Asylum Migration and Integration Fund. And outside of that then, all member states within the EU, uh, you can get resources and funding from the European Fund for Regional Development and the European Social Fund. And these type of measures are supporting people who flee Ukraine. So a lot of the money that Ireland is spending, first of all, must have been Irish money that was in this uh, funds for emergencies of over 1 billion euros. So there was that money. But a lot of the money seems to be coming from Europe under the different arrangements they have with those different funds I, I mentioned there, the latter being the European Social Fund. So not all of it is coming from taxpayers' money. It's actually money coming from Europe uh, to fund uh, the refugees. And that's why we're seeing so much work when it comes to that. It's money being given to Ireland. Now, a lot will argue with the pity they can't give the money to Ireland for uh, the needs and solve our housing crisis. Uh, and that would be arguments many people will put and rightly so but the money you see spent on Ukrainian refugees a lot of it isn't taxpayers money it's money being sourced from those European funds and that is being given to every European country not just Ireland every country in the EU so hopefully that um, answers your question there to Jerry in Middleton on the Ukrainian funding and very finally I did mention this earlier this is how three out of five people in Ireland are lonely and this is a, a major mental health study that was carried out over the last few weeks And on text, somebody, uh, when I mentioned that, says that the Easter bank holiday weekend has passed. But this person says, I absolutely can't stand these bank holiday weekends as I am completely on my own. I see everyone out drinking and enjoying themselves, some doing the fool, but it's like 
from when I see these people that we all have money to throw away or something. Uh, but I don't, not that I don't agree with bank holidays, but I just simply can't stand them, says that texter. And that comes in from this survey I mentioned that there is a lot of people in this country that are lonely. Uh, it found that I think it was 60% of males and 67% of females have felt lonely in the weeks prior to taking this survey, which was conducted just before uh, Easter. And that would kind of really maintain with what that person is saying there regarding the fact that she can't stand bank holidays because of what she sees. Uh, and it would, if you look at this study and go in depth into it, it agrees and, and goes into the fact that people are looking on at others when they're out enjoying themselves over various weekends and would love to be in that situation. Uh, but they find themselves with either no friends or people who have left the area and they find themselves alone. And this is where the lonely comes into that mental health study. Now, there is a lot of positives as well. Uh, they had uh, 62% of people agree that they are often experiencing joy and elation and they're is happiness in their lives but loneliness is one of the big things out of that survey so that person on text you're not alone about uh, 67% of females 60% of males are in a, situ- a similar situation uh, than what you are when it comes to loneliness uh, your views are welcome 0818 103 103 you can text or whatsapp 0862 103 103 uh, on the way we will be hearing about where the Michael Statue Collins placed in Grand Parade will be and how indeed that will operate. Uh, we'll be speaking to Cork City Councillor Shane O'Callaghan who was first with that motion on the City Council last year. And also next we'll be speaking to the Irish Cancer Society on if you have struggled to get life insurance how now the right to be forgotten move will help those get life insurance when applying for a mortgage. That's next. C103 Jobs. And on today's jobs slot, we have the following vacancies. A full-time position is available for an experienced plumber in the North Cork area. You can email your CV to ddesplumbingandheating at gmail.com. Cronin's Hardware in Ballylicky require two store assistants to work three days per week. Good flexibility is needed to work between Monday and Saturday and a knowledge of agri and construction products is an advantage. You can email your CV to marketing at Cronin's Hardware. .ie. A fully qualified stylist is wanted for McCroom. Full or part-time hours are available. You can email studiom.mccroom at gmail.com and Cork's 96FM and C103 is recruiting a junior business development executive to drive business acquisition and identify new revenue streams. You can email your CV and applications to hrmanager at c103.ie. You'll find all these details and more job opportunities online now just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs you're listening to c103's cork today podcast phone and text lines are currently closed call patricia with your comment 0818 103 103 talk to me. cork today on c103 Thousands of cancer survivors are said to be benefiting from the introduction of a right to be forgotten when applying for mortgage protection insurance. Emma Hirsch from the Irish Cancer Society joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Emma. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. And thanks for joining us. I mean, this will be welcome news for so many as when you get approved for a mortgage and the excitement kicks in. At drawdown, when the bank requires life insurance, this is when many come up against a brick wall. And for a lot of people, it delays the entire mortgage process. 
Yeah, that's right. Um, and I'd just like to talk to your listeners about some of the context kind of surrounding this. So uh, what we know so far, um, the Irish Cancer Society asked core research to look at the experiences of people affected by cancer when trying to access financial products and services. So over a year ago, in February 2022, the Irish Cancer Society released its report and showed that 6 in 10 people affected by cancer found it difficult to access financial products like life insurance, mortgages, income protection insurance. So when people affected by cancer were asked about the difficulty that they faced, around half said that one or more providers had refused them, and about 40% felt that the financial institution had treated them unfairly. So as a result of such experiences, people affected by cancer were left with feelings of anxiety and distress. Just taking a broader look at cancer survivorship, in Ireland over 200,000 people are cancer survivors. So today more people will survive their cancer diagnosis than in the 1990s. And so people who have survived cancer want to put their diagnosis behind them and plan for their future. So in response to this, the Irish Cancer Society is calling for legislation to be progressed so that cancer survivors have the right to be forgotten five years after finishing active treatment. And last year, draft legislation to this effect was introduced in the Shannon. And you mentioned the various areas from a financial institution. I mean, even taking out a loan, people can be affected uh, by going into the bank, looking to draw out a loan. But the question will come up, you know, had you a certain health risk over the last four to five years? And then when you tick that box on the application form, this is where then you're brought back into the bank to either get medical files sent to them or get letters from your GP. Yeah, so um, I guess just some of the experiences that we had heard from from people was that, um, you know, one in four people uh, affected by cancer felt that they were treated unfairly compared to half of the general population. Um, and this was kind of surrounding, you know, life insurance, travel insurance and income protection insurance um, more predominantly. Mm. Um, but people did talk through the feelings of the application process and that it was quite difficult for them um, when they were making their application. So for some people, they just felt um, that, you know, at the very first hurdle, uh, that they couldn't get past it. Uh, for those who could, some said that the premium costs were too high. Other people were talking about the application process being burdensome. And you're right when you say, like, going back to your medical team, getting letters. And due to a combination of factors, some people feel that there are barriers and some are left feeling demoralised. And then with the life insurance, I mean, is have we heard when they do issue life insurance to people who have overcome cancer and it is, for example, over seven years, will there be any restriction on the type of life insurance that they're offered? So uh, this is in relation to um, the code of practice uh, mentioned by Insurance Ireland last week. Yeah, and um, especially for those who are going for a mortgage. Yeah, so um, while the Irish Cancer Society welcomes uh, Insurance Ireland's announcement, uh, we're looking forward to hearing more about what the Code of Practice will entail um, and how it will be implemented. Um, And so we do welcome this and we see this as being a really good interim measure um, while the proposed legislation is working its way through the Oireachtas. As you mentioned, uh, that will give a time frame of seven years where uh, people can apply for How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Sorry, seven years after which uh, people's cancer diagnosis won't be taken into account. But we look forward to hearing more about that. And many people then will be going back for checks, Emma, as you're aware, you know, three to five years uh, after they get in their cancer clearance from their consultant in the hospital. Uh, is all this taken into account on the timeline of the, their first clearance or second clearance or would that need to be worked on yet? Um, in relation to the code of practice, um, I wouldn't be able to give an answer on that. Um, You'll have to wait and see until they, they break down. The, yeah. Mm-hmm. And overall, this is very welcome news, though, to those who at the moment, maybe going through cancer, just got the all clear maybe the last six months to a year and are looking ahead to buying a house. And many will be aware from friends, maybe, as you said, there's over 200,000 people in this country who have been affected uh, by cancer in some way or another. uh, And they'll be aware of the obstacles they have faced. So it is positive news for those who may be coming out of the cancer process at the moment. Yeah, exactly. I mean, people want to put their cancer diagnosis behind them and start Mm. thinking about their future and building their financial security. Um, And of course, planning for your future might mean planning for your first home uh, or a home that better suits your needs. Um, And so, yeah, this is welcome news for people um, that, you know, there is a timeline um, for when they will kind of be able to move forward. Um, And uh, as mentioned, hopefully we can kind of get this implemented in legislation so that uh, into the future, um, you know, this timeline will be five years post treatment and people will just have like a standardised and predictable outcome when they apply for insurance. And any timeline on when this will go into legislation, will the whole thing will be actually processed and given an exact date where this will come in place for those then who have and wish to have the right to be forgotten implemented on their insurance? We have no date as of yet, but there is a draft legislation uh, that I believe is in second stage. So we really hope that this can be progressed and the Irish Cancer Society is happy to work with the Oireachtas cross-party group on cancer uh, to um, continue advocating on this point. Okay, well, I think it's fantastic for those who have overcome cancer. And I know many people and many of our listeners, uh, a lot will get on to us looking for advice on this. When they, It's more so on mortgages we hear from here from people who go along, have everything in place. And then, as you're aware, the very final uh, step of the mortgage can be going in and, and getting the nitty gritty done. And that can be drawing down life insurance. And then they come up against a brick wall. And it's very frustrating when it's not the person's fault. You get cancer and you can't do anything to overcome it. But it is frustrating when you could lose your potential potential house you want to buy because there's a hold up with your mortgage. So I think I, I'm sure yourself there, Emma, in the Cancer Society, hearing from those in that situation and, and they're delighted that this will be coming down the line. 
Yes, and we hope to see that uh, this this in place, this code of practice implemented legislation come through just to give people that peace of mind as they move forward. Yeah, it's, it, indeed, it is peace of mind for, for everybody involved in that. For the moment, uh, Emma, thanks for joining us this morning. That is Emma Hart uh, from the Irish Cancer Society on that uh, good news, the right to be forgotten move uh, being implemented by the insurance sector and being welcomed by all there in the Irish Cancer Society. Uh, your views are welcome on that. Text or WhatsApp 0862103103 or call Bernie on 0818103103. Uh, Linda says, I think this is a great initiative. Uh, ourselves, herself and her husband when going uh, for their mortgage she uh, had cancer a number of years ago thankfully they got life insurance but there was an issue whereby she had to get a report from her GP and her consultant but thankfully they got the life insurance it held things up for about two weeks but did not uh, impact on the sale and the purchase of their home so I'm glad Linda that all worked out for you on WhatsApp to 0862103103 now something totally different and if you have a smart speaker well I wonder does it always work for you on the first go because it seems that people from Kerry are more likely to change their voice so that the smart speaker can recognise them. And also this goes for all various smart devices. New research found that people from Mayo, Westmeath and Sligo had to adapt their accents. Well, with more on this, Andrew Louth has this report that he's been looking into uh, the various ways people talk to their smart speaker. Alexa, tell me what's the latest news. Sorry, something went wrong. How do I get this blasted Alexa thing to work at all? An actor from Kerry there demonstrating difficulties with smart speakers. Ultimately, they have to move from what you just heard to something like this. Alexa, tell me what's the latest news. A Pure Telecom poll found 46% of Kerry natives needed to alter their voices for speech recognition devices, stretching from the speakers to phones. This is followed by the likes of Mayo, Sligo and Galway. However, it was people from Westmead who were most likely to lash out at their devices out of frustration. Lecturer in languages at Southeast Technological University, Dr Chris Mulhall, says like in humans, Accents can be polarizing. But you can have humans from the same country that wouldn't understand each other based on accents, you know, and that's how it can exist on a human scale. So technology is trying to sit somewhere in the middle of that and ultimately not getting at either end of it. Alongside this, though, the survey also found people use their devices to listen to music, turn on the radio and check the weather. So now, uh, your smart device, <laughs> does it affect you when you're trying to talk to it? And does it tell you, uh, like the first guy there who was an actor from Kerry, but he was demonstrating the difficulties he has with his smart device when it goes basically not working? Uh, do you find that? I know we were speaking to Kin Tobin earlier on in the breakfast show because he gives away smart speakers every morning if you want to get one free. Uh, but he says for him, he has to talk a lot slowly onto the smart speaker so it will do what he wants it to do. So your view on smart speakers, maybe it's just accents and everybody has a different accent. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, different accents is good uh, and it's nice to hear different accents around the place but your views on either accents or indeed smart speakers. How do you fare with your one? WhatsApp or indeed text to 0862 103 103 and that report there coming from Andrew Louth. Now back to our chat with the Irish Cancer Society and this was how many people will have the right to be forgotten when it comes to applying for mortgage protection insurance and indeed life insurance. A hi to Niamh, who's attuned to us in the city 
In relation to that chat, she says, what does cancer treatment mean? Is it chemo? Is it radiotherapy? Neve says, I had a cancer diagnosis and I had surgery, but no further treatment. So would I have to wait for the five or seven years? Uh, I am planning on a mortgage next year and this has me worried. Uh, so hello to you, Neve. Well, I wouldn't be too worried. Uh, you, you will more than likely get the mortgage. Uh, well, depend, the mortgage obviously goes in your own financial situation and, and all of that. But on the life insurance, when you get to that stage at the end, you will have to take out uh, mortgage protection insurance or life insurance uh, for your mortgage nearer usually draw down and that's what happens it's while you're told at the start what you need to do you don't think about it until you come to the end of the process uh, but I would reckon you will be fine because I, what you more than likely will have to do you, if this comes in you have the right to be forgotten but from my own experience uh, I had a tumour many years ago over 10 years ago when I was going for my mortgage that situation arose I had to get uh, life insurance obviously not for the mortgage but I had to get a letter from the GP with an input from the consultant now there was a uh, maybe a week or so of a delay because you have to get the, the letter and then you have to get the consultant a stamp or whatever they do on that. Uh, but once you get that, then you just send it back uh, and usually it will be accepted and cleared. Uh, and, you know, what it, it does delay things for a week or two overall, it, it, more or less, if you say you had, you had cancer, you had surgery, you needed no further treatment, that will all be outlined. So there's no further threat to your health, I suppose, in one way. It's what they look at it from a banking point of view. So that's the way I would go. Would it delay you? Not really, by about a week or two. That's only the experience that I have and indeed our listeners have as well over the last number of years when we've discussed this issue of drawing down life insurance at mortgage stage. So hopefully, Niamh, it won't affect you. Uh, yes, I mean, there is different stages and different treatments for cancer, but when it comes to banking, usually they, they'll just look at what the cancer was and a report from the GP and that will align everything. So I wouldn't be worried, certainly, uh, but on my own experience and listeners, you know, make sure you've everything ticked, I suppose, first day Many people will just go along with the process because it mightn't be in your situation, but just have all your, your I's dotted and your T's crossed on the first day you go in for the mortgage because you know now what's ahead of you. So at the end stage, have the letters got from day one. That's what I would advise. So, I mean, you, you, you know your, your own body better than anybody else. You know you're doing well. Uh, so I would say have everything in, in line first day. Uh, so when it gets to that stage, you just hand over your paperwork to the bank and you have it all ready to go then there should be no delay. Okay, that's our own experience of it. And best of luck, Niamh, to you and your health and indeed on your mortgage application. Lines open 0818 103 103. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. We'll hear about that uh, Michael Collins statue uh, that's going to be placed in the Grand Parade where it will be and what are the plans next? Cork today on C103. The first Michael Collins statue in Cork City will be based on the Grand Parade. Fine Gael Councillor Shane O'Callaghan whose motion to the City Council started the project joins me. Good morning to you, Shane. Morning, JP. How are you? I'm fine and thanks for joining us. I mean, you got unanimous support when you raised this at City Council. So are you and indeed the Michael Collins 100 Committee happy now with the location chosen given its significance? Well, I, I'm absolutely delighted um, that Cork City Council and the, and the Collins 100 Committee have chosen uh, the Grand Parade as a location for the Michael Collins statue. It's, it's the perfect location in, in my view and I know that the Collins 100 Committee are absolutely delighted with it as well um, because it's right in the heart of Cork City Centre in an area that's going to be redeveloped into a cultural centre over the next few years, um, which is part of the redevelopment of uh, Bishop Lucy Park and the City Library. And there are a number of advantage, advantages to the location, in my view, JP. 
Firstly, its location close to the city library is uh, very beneficial because uh, visitors who view the statue and want to know more about Collins would just have to walk a very short distance to the city library to find out more about uh, the man who arguably, and, and certainly in my view, is, is Ireland's greatest hero. Um, the site also has a historic connection to Collins as it is close to the site on the Grand Parade where in March 1922 he delivered a speech to a crowd of approximately 50,000 people um, in which he outlined the benefits of the Anglo-Irish Treaty and how he believed that it gave Ireland the um, freedom to achieve uh, ultimate freedom. And and I think it's significant also, um, JP, that that speech was made um, at a time when, um, you know, it was prior to the Civil War. So it was when the independence movement um, was, you know, somewhat still united. And I think that that's significant as well, because obviously um, this is a, 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 a not, you know, it's this is a historic um, and cultural, um, you know, enterprise and project, you know, and it's non-political. And I think that's 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 appropriate. The actual statue itself, is it going to be a near life-size piece of Collins? Um, it's probably going to be about seven feet tall. Um, so it's going to be, I mean, I know he was the big fella <laughs> and he was a big man, but he wasn't seven feet tall. So it's going to be, uh, slightly larger than life size, so it'll be it'll be a very impressive piece. Um, it, it, it was originally thought that they'd have it uh, about life size, but um, uh, I think the, the sculptor Kevin Holland, um, who's who's done amazing work. I mean, he was the sculptor responsible for the statue in Clonakilty as well. He's he's a very gifted, fantastic guy. And he's put a lot of work into this, and um, he he concluded that a seven foot statue would be more appropriate and would be. Um, better in terms of you know it, it, it would stand out more you know so um so that's that's what the, that's what's going to be seven approximately seven feet tall yeah it certainly will stand out and you mentioned uh, kevin holland there the sculpture behind this he was also behind the ford model t car well known in banascarthy used a lot for wedding yeah. photos of people pass through uh but the sculpture itself yeah, he's extremely he's very gifted he's, he is he is he is indeed uh, the payment though for this and the funding i mean there was crowdfunding mentioned initially is there any funding from city council and the state for this no no it, it's it's coming about and um, the collins 100 committee um basically is running a fundraising campaign to raise the necessary funds to have the statue made and look i mean i have to say the fundraising campaign has been going extremely well and and and, and a very large amount of money has been raised you know raised already but look um, we'd very much welcome further contributions um, to the statue. I mean, it, it doesn't matter how much. I mean, it's it could be anything from a you know ten euro to hundred euro or whatever uh, people would have in mind. And anyone who makes a contribution can request a special commemorative certificate acknowledging their contribution. And it's based on um, the national loan that Collins would have given out during the War of Independence. And their name and their details will also be put into a time capsule, which will be placed under the under, in the plinth under the statue just before its unveiling. And um, so, and anyone who wishes to make a contribution should visit the website www.michaelcollinsstatue.com. So that's www.michaelcollinsstatue.com. Um, and if all goes to plan, you know, the statue, where it's hoped that the statue um, will be made and, and be in a position to be officially unveiled in August this year. Um, so only a few months time um, to, you know, coincide with the 101st anniversary of Collins' death. That's if all goes to plan. And look, so far, um, everything is is very much going to plan. Um, and look, I mean, I suppose I would like to pay tribute, um, JP, to the absolutely Trojan work done by uh, Tim Crowley 
um, from the you know if you know is from the Mike Collins yeah, Centre in, in yeah. Castleview. He's the chairman of the Collins 100 Committee, and he's done phenomenal work on this um, over the last uh, number of months in particular. And also the other members of the Collins 100 Committee, uh, Jerry Carey, Fidel McCollins, Noel Scannell, Connie Kelleher, Traylock Odunavon and Dwayne Crowley. Uh, all of them have put in an enormous amount of work into this project um, over the last number of months. And look, I would also, I, I would, I also would like to pay tribute um, to the executive of Cork City Council, who've been extremely proactive, I have to say, and have enthusiastically worked with and supported the work of the um, Collins 100 Committee every step of the way. So it's, it's a joint project between the the City Council and the Collins 100 Committee. The Collins 100 Committee is obviously um, responsible for raising the funds for the statute, and and the the location was an agreed location. Uh, between um, the Collins 100 Committee and Cork City Council, uh, like a number of sites on Patrick Street had, were all, were also looked at, but it was it was just decided, um, you know, just uh, the the consensus was actually it was decided both by the the executive of the City Council and the Collins 100 Committee that, um, given the historical and cultural significance of the Grand Parade site, you know, it was decided that that would be the most suitable location. And I think, as I say, in my view, it's the perfect location for it. Well, I didn't realise the works were that advanced, but that it's going to be August, uh, as you say, hopefully, anyhow, for the unveiling well, of the statue. Plan, yeah, yeah. yeah and, that... and obviously, contributions um, uh, contributions are, are key in that regard. Um, a, a lot has been raised, but we are looking for a bit more just to, to bring it over the line. And will the statue itself, itself then, Shane, will that be protected as in will there be railings around the statue for fear of antisocial behaviour or will it be just the statue because it's it's more or less him on a bike, isn't it? It's him on a bike and, and it'll probably be uh, on a plinth which will be uh, uh, raised uh, some bit maybe about, I think they spoke about 10 inches off the ground. So it, it won't be too high. I mean, people will be able to step up to it and, you know, for photographs and things like that. Um, but, you know, it, so it won't be you know, to, it won't be like Father Matthew, who's you know towering above. Because I mean, obviously, the the ethos was that it was you know Collins with his bicycle, like he was during the War of Independence, when he was you know leading the resistance to British rule and managing the out uh, the finance of the outlawed Dáil government. You know, he did all that whilst cycling a bicycle, mainly in Dublin, admittedly. And uh, but I mean, he was like he was him amongst the people, and that's that's the that's what they that's what they want as well this time. You know, Collins and um, the man amongst the people. And um, so I mean, I don't think there will be railing around it, but I, I think a final decision on that has yet to be made. But I would say unlikely. Um, and look, I mean, antisocial behaviour. I mean, I suppose you can't do anything about that, unfortunately. But I'd like to, I'd like to think that, you know, given Collins' significance and and his importance um, to the struggle for Irish independence and the establishment of an independent Irish democracy, you know, I'd be hopeful that most people. The vast, vast majority of people would respect it and not not attempt to vandalise it or anything like that. Yeah, and as you say, regardless, I mean, Father Matthew gets the odd traffic cone on his head uh, he does, some he weekends, does, and you know, he's high up. So you know, no matter and what he's you high do, up, so I mean, I don't, I don't think you can do anything in terms of if people want, to, you know, are determined to do something like that. You know, it's you know, it's just an unfortunate fact of life. Unfortunately, there's cameras in the area as well. So if people who are doing it, I think there's True. talk of that. People who are doing it may be identified. Well, we wish uh, yourself and indeed the sculpture, more so Kevin Holland, the very best uh, with his work on this statue and all involved uh, in the committee. For the moment, Shane, thanks for joining us this morning on the programme. Thanks, JP. 
Cork today until 1. Bernie taking your comments right now on 0818-103-103. You can text or indeed WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. On the way after 12.30, our regular show councillor Joe Heffernan will join us this week discussing the work-life balance, which is something everybody is trying to achieve these days. That's underway. But a lot of calls and comments in before that. And first of all, I'm sure many will agree with this. This is from Mary on WhatsApp, who is uh, raising the issue of potholes on Cork roads. She feels they've got worse over the last number of months and the water logging on the road is a cause of this, asks Mary. Uh, what has been done? And I'm sure Mary, many can identify with this and I'll stay on roads because Maria is in Bishopstown and Maria is asking what is Cork City Council doing about all the cracked and loose slabs along Bishopstown's footpaths, not to mention how uneven these paths are. Uh, Maria goes on and it does make for those with buggies and indeed wheelchair users life very difficult uh, for those users indeed Maria and what is happening it is Cork City Council it's their responsibility for roads and footpaths in the majority of areas unless now this area has not been taken over by the City Council as yet I know some housing estates that are waiting for the council to take them over have to look after their own uh, footpaths and roadways but where you are talking about I presume you mean in the main area of Bishopstown and not within uh, a cut through of a housing estate anyhow uh, Maria thank you for your email to Cork Today at c103.ie and a lot of talk uh, from uh, people in the last few months to the show regarding the bus stop in Clonakilty and the cars were parking in the bus stop in Clon and they were going about their business but the bus then could not park in the bus stop because there was a car there so that held up traffic along the main street as people were getting on and off the bus and they were asking is Clonakilty getting a traffic warden well we spoke uh, to various groups about that one of those was the Clonakilty Access Group and over the weekend they posted to social media and they said they can confirm uh, that a council traffic warden is now working in Clonakilty full time from Monday to Friday and this traffic warden I presume must have met with the the access group and others in the town because this person is aware of the issues in and around Clonakilty so that bus stop issue will be watched I'm sure as well along with many others uh, that were affecting accessibility uh, to those who were trying to get around the uh, town of Clonakilty uh, but I can confirm now there is a full-time traffic warden appointed to Clon. Uh, we heard a report earlier from Andrew Loud and this was on smart speakers and how some smart speakers don't recognise people's voices and a lot of that is to do with an accent and the various accents we have here in Ireland and some people like some accents some people don't and seemingly smart speakers are the same and hello to Geraldine O'Shea in Bantry she won a smart speaker on with Ken Tobin on C103 last year she says it's the greatest thing of all anyone in our households can request whatever they want so hello to you Geraldine glad that's working for you there and no problems in Bantry when it comes to the smart speaker but Diddy uh, Dinny is in the mizzen and Dinny says yes I have the same problem as the person in your report so I change my accent says Dinny uh, and my smart speaker works then but I have to sound more American Dinny feels uh, to get his smart speaker working okay how do you do with your smart speaker let us know text or whatsapp 0862103103 and a lot of reaction to our chat with the Irish Cancer Society and this is from people who weren't aware I suppose if you haven't gone for a mortgage before or gone for a mortgage within the last 5 or 10 years you won't know the various steps uh, that are required for, for mortgages and things have changed over 
over the years so much uh, regarding mortgage applications. And hello to Helen, also Joan and Alan. And we had Neve on earlier to us as well, inquiring about that. And I suppose if it is your first mortgage application, many don't realise towards the end of the process, you know, you will be asked for mortgage protection and life insurance. And for many, that's fine. You just go and get it. But for some, like we heard Neve mention, and others who were speaking with the Irish Cancer Society when we spoke with Emma Hart earlier on this, uh, they get to that stage and they're unaware that they can just go to the insurance company, they fill out the form and then the form comes back going, you had cancer at this date or you know, you were in for surgery for cancer on this date, you now must go and get a report from your GP or consultant and the process is held up. And while it's happened before from listeners to us who have contacted us in despair, uh, they go along to their GP or their consultants, but they then must get their medical files. And that can take a week or two in some cases. But if you're bidding on a house and the buyer may be in a rush or maybe the deal wants to be closed down and there's not much between the asking prices. Uh, sometimes what can happen is if there's a delay with someone's mortgage, the person who's waiting to sell their home may go, oh, is this person serious? And are they afraid they may lose out on the other buyer? Because you could be down to the last two or three buyers uh, in what we have heard from experiences from listeners over the last number of years. And this is where they can lose out. And we have heard from some people who unfortunately, due to a delay in the mortgage, uh, the the seller of the house has said, look, we're going to go with the other person because we've waited for you for three weeks. We want a quick sale to buy another house. So they're going to go with the other buyer. And then this person loses out all because you're waiting on your medical files and a letter back from your GP or your consultant to say that your your cancer is clear. uh, Everything is okay with you so many years on and they are happy and your life insurance can be taken out at a certain rate and all of that. Uh, So that is why now the new ruling will mean after five or seven years, it won't matter if you had cancer or not because you'll have the right to be forgotten clause in the insurance sector. Uh, So that will be done away with. But in the meantime, for those who were applying at the moment, uh, I would say, and as we said earlier to Niamh, have everything ready. I mean, if you know your your health history, once you go getting the mortgage, because they will ask you towards the end stage the time of application, go to your GP, go to your consultant, say you will need this down the line, have it all ready so by the time you come to that part of the application, at least you have the letters and stuff uh, in front of you and you can just hand them over to the bank and hopefully everything will be okay. So thank you for those who have got in contact with us on text or indeed WhatsApp regarding uh, that situation, which is welcome news uh, from the insurance sector to all uh, cancer survivors and indeed very welcome news uh, by the Irish Cancer Society. And then on the Michael Collins statue, and which is going to be placed in the Grand Parade, the first statue uh, in Cork City of Michael Collins. Well, Pat, while many are saying, you know, it's good, it may bring tourism and all of that, and it will be going in an area where they're revamping Grand Parade. Pat, though, has a different view. Uh, Pat says, hello, JP, I don't think that statue of Collins should be put up until Ireland gets its full independence back. And what Pat means by this basically is he means a united Ireland. Now, will that ever happen? Many people say it will. Uh, Thank you, Pat, for your text. Would you agree agree with Pat on that? Or the statue, Pat, anyhow, as as we heard earlier when we spoke to Councillor Shane O'Callaghan, it's um, uh, on target, hopefully, to go up towards the end of this year. So maybe October, November. It's that advanced at the moment to be erected on the Grand Parade. Uh, But would many agree with Pat that it should be not erected until we have United Ireland? But Pat, that could go on for the next 
10, 15, 20 years, uh, that debate could keep rolling uh, and that would need an agreement between North and South. And we can see already over the past weekend uh, on the anniversary, 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreements, what has been happening in the North. Tensions are running high. We saw in Derry over the weekend uh, the PSNI van that was attacked, uh, petrol bombs thrown on the roadways and the huge amount of security that is underway, as there would be for a state visit of any American president, but more so at the moment because of the tensions that unfortunately are still in Northern Ireland. I worked there for a very small bit uh, with UTV television and it's a different world when you go into areas when you're doing reports and you hear firsthand from people who you who I suppose maybe we aren't aware of here in Cork but people who have lived through the troubles and what they want is peace and we saw that with the Good Friday Agreements but is, is everybody ready for United Ireland up there? Uh, I don't think so and many will won't want to ruin any peace that is there at the moment just so that Ireland can become one so it's a it's a topical issue, Pat, and I don't know if, if if the right thing is to wait until that happens. But your views are welcome, Pat, and do you agree with Pat or not? The statue's going up anyway, but Pat feels it should be uh, held off until uh, we have United Ireland, which I think will take a long, long time. Uh, I can't see it happening overnight or in the next five or ten years, and I think a lot of people are in the same boat. We don't want to rock things too much, uh, especially when we saw what happened over the weekend in many parts of Northern Ireland. Your views are welcome. Uh, text or indeed WhatsApp 0862103103 or call Bernie on 0818 103103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and houses community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie The Pike Theatre Group in Ballincollig, they will hold a night of song, music and dance with the Cork Accordion and Fiddle Club in Ballincollig Rugby Club and that's on in Tanner Park tonight at 8 o'clock. Everybody is welcome. And Tregumna Threshing Committee, they are running a €1,000 bingo in aid of UNICEF Turkey Syrian Earthquake Appeal for Children. And it's going ahead tonight at 8 o'clock in the Skibbereen Eagle in Tregumna. There'll be lots of spot prizes which have been kindly donated to local businesses. So best of luck there tonight to everybody with that bingo. €1,000 bingo at the Skibbereen Eagle in Tregumna. And Shambali More Bingo, that's going ahead tonight in the community centre at 8 o'clock. The jackpot there is €1,350 in 45 calls or less. And Ballyhay Farm Fest, well, that's going to take place in the summer on Sunday the 9th of July and it's taking place in the Charnival showgrounds but right now they are looking for contestants to take part in Cork's Fittest Farmer Challenge. Teams of five are limited to 10 teams with prizes of up to €500 in fuel vouchers for team members and you can register now by emailing ballyhayfarmfest at gmail.com and McCroom Flower and Garden Club they will host a floral demonstration by Melanie Harris that's going ahead on this coming Thursday at 8 o'clock it's on in Coolcower House in McCroom doors open there at 7.30 and it's entitled Spring to Life. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Can you talk to me? Cork.
Court today on C103. And just in reaction to Pat who takes in, he felt the statue of Michael Collins should not be erected until we have United Ireland. A lot of people reacting to that, Pat, and they're saying that, first of all, Margaret says, we want peace in our nation, not United Ireland. What good is having a United Ireland if we are all at war with each other? We don't want this. It's peace we want, says Margaret. While Martin is in Fermoy, he says in response to that statue, again, like what Margaret says, we don't want United Ireland. Uh, Martin saying we can't even manage what we have now. And also we are not even united now. Uh, we will never be united because the Irish are always forgotten about by its own government, uh, says Martin in Fermoy. And then if we can help Kate out here, Kate is looking where, looking for an integrated cooker. Uh, but she has tried a lot of areas in Mallow, in Canturk and in Charnival and she wasn't able to get one. Uh, so if anybody can, can help us out there, uh, it's an integrated cooker uh, and... I don't know if it's a certain type you're looking for, Kate, or not. But if anybody would know an uh, uh, electrical store, I presume, that would, uh, in those areas of North Cork, uh, that would stock an integrated cooker for Kate. If you can let us know on text or WhatsApp or call Bernie. And then Sarah, uh, who was in touch, and this happened to Sarah from last September. She started getting calls from random people who told her that they were returning her call. Now, in total, it happened about eight times a day and it was always eight different people. But it was her number that called them in the first place, even though she never placed a call off her phone. Now, yesterday, Sarah says it happened again to her and what she did was she ended up screenshotting the call with her number on it. But again, she never placed any call to this person. But the person was ringing her saying, look, your number came up. This is my call log. You have rang me. But Sarah did not ring. Uh, So this went on and went on and went on. And the call yesterday, the person actually said that the phone kept ringing and rings a very long time and it doesn't leave a message. And that is why uh, then people are answering the phone because the phone keeps ringing. She's asking if anybody else has experienced this. Well, Sarah, I can tell you they have. We've dealt with this before on the show. What looks like to to, to your phone number, first of all, what's after happening is somebody uh, has cloned your phone number. So whatever your phone number is, in these scammers that are wherever they are across the world uh, they've managed to clone your number so they're now ringing people off a computer basically Uh, that computer is using your phone number so when they're ringing people to scam them they see those people that receive the call get the missed call they ring back the number it's your number hence why you are receiving all those callbacks so it is a scam the best you can do is just explain to the people that your number seems to have been cloned uh, from those who have had that issue with us over the years it does stop after a while some people have changed their phone number but many don't want to go down that route simply because they may have had that phone number for years and years and if they change the phone number it does involve then a huge upheaval for them but it does look like your number has been cloned and that's the reason behind that. You can always ring your phone operator uh, or indeed Comrade and they can uh, maybe look at how they can solve that for you but the majority of time people have said it does stop um, and it may come back but there's not much you can do about it uh, from the people that we have spoken to only that it does seem to calm down and stop after a while. I would though for your own sake ring your whoever you're with as in if it's 
Three or Vodafone or whoever, and also maybe give Comrade a call to see if they can actually, or Comrade, see if they can actually advise you on anything uh, that they can do for you. But yeah, it does look like, and it's happened to others. There, your your phone number unfortunately seems to have been cloned, has been used uh, by scam artists, and they could be based anywhere across the country. And I know you're asking, could it be because of the amounts of information that has been leaked uh, from various? Uh, issues of data protection over the last while I suppose the HSE one was the main one uh, when someone accessed their data back was it in 2021 uh, and it could be that Sarah but it just could be just the luck of the draw that your phone number was picked and they cloned that anyhow hopefully that works out for you that's the advice we can give from our experience of dealing with that over the last number of years and then we spoke at length about the eviction ban over the last two or three weeks well A poll has been released today and this poll is coming from Taxback and they're looking at the public opinion from taxpayers on the eviction ban and the lifting of this and the new poll from the tax specialist will have found that 53% of people surveyed disagreed with the government's decision not to extend the ban. However, 47% supported the lifting of the ban and the poll then surveyed almost 2,000 taxpayers across the country. One in five taxpayers responded to the survey. They felt and they believed that the ban should never have been introduced in the first place. Now, interestingly though, a similar number said they'd like to see evictions banned altogether. Uh, So a a mixed bag in that one, uh, but very tight margins when you look at that uh, show of uh, split views there from the public in that tax back survey on the lifting of the, the eviction ban which I see a lot of um, opposition TDs not happy that the government are still remaining on holidays this week and they feel they should be back in dealing with the situation of the eviction ban as the government back I think due next week anyhow even though Joe Biden is due to anyhow visit the doll on Wednesday I think it is or Thursday to address the doll and and address the Iraq this even. I think that is due on, on Thursday. Uh, but I suppose that will just be where the Dáil and Chennai will be recalled from their Easter break, but they won't be debating or deciding anything on that day. So it will be next Monday or Tuesday again by the time anything can be raised in relation to the eviction ban. Uh, your views are welcome. You can email Cork today at c103.ie. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 Talk to me. Cork today on C103. And for Kate, who was looking for the integrated cooker, she came back to say she didn't mean cooker, she meant extractor. Uh, but I'm sure the responses that we got, Kate, should help you out. JG Appliances, uh, they, Jim, hello to Jim, who's saying that they will be able to help you out and I'm sure uh, should be able to as well with the extractor if anybody else can help Kate in that. But JG Appliances, Kate, for you there on that one. And I'm not too sure if anybody has purchased... Uh, foreign currency in the last while has this happened to you because somebody on WhatsApp is saying I purchased sterling only 150 euros or 150 pounds worth of sterling and guess what I was asked for my date of birth and my air coat now the counter assistant was embarrassed having to ask me for it but they had to ask me what is this all about I'll have to check that out for you and I presume it was either a bank or a post office you were in 
purchasing this sterling. Uh, I know they had to ask for different measures before, but I'm not too sure why your date of birth and your air code for that. But we will check that out for you and uh, see why that is uh, in place. Uh, I haven't heard of an, an air code. It's, it's an odd one when it's uh, sterling. Anyhow, we'll see what we get back from the banks and, and why indeed uh, they are asking for that. Thank you for your thanks to 0862103103. Now let's uh, join Joe Heffernan, our regular councillor on the show, as we do each and every Tuesday afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, JP. And am I right in thinking that happy birthday is in order? It is. <laughs> it is indeed. It was Patricia's yesterday. It's mine today. And it's also Maureen in our newsroom's birthday. So we're full of birthdays here, Joe, today. It's oh, all birthdays. Yeah. <laughs> right. Plenty of cake <laughs> doing the rounds. Yeah. Whether that's yeah. good enough, yeah. It'll Too much sugar. It's a good time to call in yeah, it um, yeah. passing. It would be indeed. <laughs> it'd, be, yeah. it'd be guaranteed a slice of chocolate cake, Joe. Good. <laughs> and appropriate today, as we mentioned, the cake and people having cake in the building. Uh, work-life balance. It's something we've we have heard and are hearing a lot more about, Joe, uh, over the last number of years, in particular since the various lockdowns we had in the pandemic, when people were working from home, they proved they could work from home. They felt it was better for their lifestyle. And then companies felt it maybe worked out for them because they didn't have to lease huge premises. And we've seen a huge change, haven't we, in the way people now work. And it has improved what we're going to discuss today, their work-life balance. Yeah, and um, I think uh, it, can, it, it, it can be good and it can be bad, like most things. Yeah. That, um, you know, uh, let's put it this way, we're available all the time now. Um, whereas in the... It, it sounds like the dark ages, no? But in the in the not so distant past, um, you know, when we left the workplace, um, uh, we 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 really did leave the workplace, and um, it had to be something, you know, almost uh, extraordinary that uh, we would get a telephone call uh, on the landline uh, to 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 say that such a thing um, uh, needed attending to. Um, it might be only information about the following day uh, that suddenly it had become a day off, which would be a great phone call. But um, uh, nowadays, of course, we're, we're, there's an umbilical cord, I suppose, between ourselves and, and, uh, and the workplace and work in general. Um, and uh, I suppose it's something, uh, JP, that we need to become or be aware of and uh, and learn some way to uh, to kind of draw a line between work and life um are um, we're never not working, do you know? Yeah, and I know companies these days provide all these different programmes within, especially big, large corporate companies, uh, but then they can be the worst of them whereby they will want an employee working more or less six or seven days a week and be on call because uh, when you mentioned there years ago you get the call on the landline, these days some people may have a, a work mobile or use their own mobile or have access to their work emails outside of work, but that can hinder then, Joe, on them going and calling to their family or to their own friends who are in their lives but they may find it hard to find time to visit them. Absolutely and uh, I think what you mentioned there in passing about the work mobile and the personal mobile I think that's a great um, uh, uh, safety thing for um, for having a work-life balance that um, I know that uh, I, I, you know some people uh, 
turn off the work mobile um, on a Friday evening or whatever, and um, and it doesn't come on again until Monday morning, which I suppose is a great idea, but um, maybe not appreciated by employers um, who want one to be available um, at all times. But at least if one has a separate mobile for work, well, you have some chance um, of... Um, you know, of the the division between um, uh, the life-work balance. Um, uh, and I think we need to do that. Now, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm no good example at all for this because, I mean, yesterday now, Easter Monday, I caught up on emails and I sent a few uh, work things um, away that will be read, I hope, this morning. Um, and, you know, I questioned myself in the middle of it yesterday afternoon and I kind of said, what are you doing? Um, it's Easter Monday and here you are. But, um, yeah, uh, you know, it was, uh, I had an itch that I needed to scratch um, because there was a couple of things I needed to get off and I did. Um but is but, that then, in, in a way, Joe, when it's relevant to us all, that you know you have something to do, it's in your head to do it, and when you get it done, you feel a lot lighter because that's out of the way, but still you're doing that, whatever you're doing, emailing or, or taking a phone call, during your own personal time. Exactly, exactly. And I agree with you completely on the thing of that. Um, it was, uh, it was on, a couple of things were on my mind, and um, yeah, um it was uh, a good old feeling to get them done. But um, uh, I suppose if one was um, uh, looking after oneself in a better way, it would be, look, there's always Tuesday. So um, maybe head off for a bit of a drive somewhere or, or uh, well, there wasn't much opportunity with the weather to go for a walk. That's my excuse anyway, and I'm sticking to it. Um, but... Uh, uh, there, there were, there were alternatives, and um, uh, I, I should have taken them. So all I'm doing is confessing, like that. Um, I, I wouldn't be the greatest example um, uh, of the work-life balance, but I can at times be very good. But what I find is that since the COVID, um, we wouldn't have had a holiday now, and. Um, uh, well, that was one way to get away from work. Um, I mean, if you're if you're abroad and enjoying a bit of sunshine and all of that, um, uh, you know, uh, work isn't very close to one uh, either physically or or mentally. Yeah, so, and Mike is making yeah. a good point here, Joe. He feels that some employers, not all now, but some, uh, give employees such a, a high level of work that some feel they can only get it done and get through it on days like for yourself, then example, a bank holiday. Yeah. And he feels it's got worse, not better over time. Would you agree? Would you see that in your own line of work? People oh, who are too stressed? Yeah. Uh, well, in my own life, I would see a bit. But... Um, but uh, in a general way, I'd say that is an absolute fact. I mean, we saw there recently, I don't think he'd be a great example in many facets of life, but Elon Musk, um, uh, first of all, there was loads of people getting sacked by email. And then secondly, there was this um, message went out that everyone was to, I forget the wording now, but it was basically that everyone was to work a lot harder. Mm. Um 
and all of that. And, um, uh, as a, you know, in, in the past, like when you walked out the door, um, you, you, were, you were kind of um, very difficult to contact until the next workday, whenever that would be. Whereas now, um, no problem at all. And um, uh, we need to, uh, you know, we, we need to engage with uh, our, our hobbies, our um, whatever we like to do, whether it is going to a match at the weekend, whether it is um, enga- engaging with games, um, uh, or, um, uh, you know, going to the cinema, um, uh, very popular um, was um, especially uh, rural Ireland. Um, bingo became a kind of a great um, social as well as, um, you know, uh, time out. Um, uh, listening to music, um, reading an old novel, which would be one of my things, and um, we we need to have a think anyway about it. We we certainly need to just reflect. Um, I read a startling article recently by uh, Neil Horn in the Sunday Indo, um, and some of the things um, I I I found it very hard to kind of. Um, to believe some of the things, but they're factual. A third of people check their mobile phones at least 50 times a day. Imagine. Yeah, yeah I, I would. If you ever are out and you're in maybe a coffee shop or a bar or whatever, you'd see people constantly checking the phone while they're in a conversation, but they're checking. It's a habit I think we've got into. We feel we're going to miss out on something if we don't have the phone with us. Yeah. I was talking to somebody recently now who had one of these, I don't know if you'll call them a watch or what. Oh, um, yeah, the, the smart watches with the texts and the messages yeah, come up actually on yeah. the watch. Yeah, yeah. And um, do you know, it was kind of beep, 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 beep. <laughs> and um, God, it was very hard to hold a conversation. Um, it, 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 you know, it was, it was kind of butting in all the time. Um, 16% of people admit to checking their phones at least one hundred times every day. Um, half of the people in this survey said that they stay awake later than planned because they're on their phone. And the average number of hours spent by Irish people on phones each day um, is six. Uh, six hours a day. Now, I can't really relate to that, but then if I added it all up, and um, and thought about it, I'd probably be uh, a little bit shocked. It's something we might cover in a in a in a in, a, in one of our slots very very soon. Yeah, um, that is a huge issue, screen time. And I know some of the phone manufacturers, depending on whatever phone you have, you have an option to switch on this screen time uh, um, app on the phone, and it will show you how long you're spending on different apps and in general on the phone. And it can be, as you mentioned, you think you're not on it six hours, but the computer never lies, and it will tell you you could be on it four or five hours. So it, the yeah. time does add up. Yeah, and like to stick with our topic today, then I mean that means that you're available. Um, uh, 24-7. And um, so we need to kind of A, be aware of that and B, do something about it. Um, uh, I, I think the people with the two phones, the, the work phone and, and the personal phone are, are on to a, a very, very good idea. Um, because we learn, we, we need to learn like to work smarter uh, instead of harder. And um, 
and and we need in our lives, I think, JP, very much to have something to look forward to, mm. like whether it's um, uh, going to a concert, whether it's a day out in um, in the city, whether it's uh, a holiday or even um, a weekend. A we excuse me, a weekend break. Um, so, like, we need to be able to become unavailable. Uh, uh, and uh, and and uh, and not worry about if if it's frowned upon that we see um, you know six missed calls. Um, we'll get to them when we're back at work. Um, uh, so uh, we 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 need to have a bit of a plan, or we need to at least have an intention that um, that we will uh, that we will include our life in our lives rather than our work uh, being um, uh, dominant in it. Um, I know that, like, for your kind of work and to an extent to my kind of work, um, we need to kind of keep up with what's happening. Um, So I suppose the morning um, we flick through, um, you know, the news of the day. um, And, uh, yeah, that's okay, But... um, but if we're constantly at that on Saturday and Sunday, um, well, then we, we maybe need to have a think and, um, uh, I don't know, impose some kind of a timetable on ourselves that, um, that, we, will, um, that we will make uh, lifetime as well as as uh, w- work time. Yeah, because you we... could easily, Joe, if you keep on doing what you're saying there, looking through the papers or looking at TV news or on the phone, checking for uh, X, Y and Z, you can find yourself becoming isolated then from the friends until we touch on at the start because you're spending too much time on the work side of things and not with your family and friends. And Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, your, your work is your work, but they can easily repeal. You know, if, if you pass away, unfortunately, in the morning, you'll be replaced. That seat will be taken by somebody else and they won't be too worried about it. Uh, whereas that won't happen with your family and friends. Absolutely. You're 100%, 120% right. Um, I've seen going through life um, people who were um, invaluable, brilliant in their job, um, highly respected, highly liked, and all of that, and then something happens and they are gone, whether it is uh, through a health issue or whether the person has died, and life goes on, the work goes on, the company goes on, and um, and I think then we realise that um, we're, um, we're very dispensable, even though we might feel at times that we're you know, uh, indispensable, we're not. We we certainly are not. And um, and I think that realization gives us a kind of leave to um to ease up a bit and to uh, and to you know to try to maybe enjoy life a little bit more um, than than the working working kind of thing. Um, we True. we need time out. True, yeah, I think we all need that. Uh, Anthony on uh, WhatsApp is saying, I think a four-day week that they're talking about would work brilliantly. Uh, uh, he works in the childcare sector. He's done so for the last eight years and feels if they went down the route of a four-day week, that would take the pressure off a lot of people. I think indeed it would because you'd have at least an extra day if you're spending one of those days at the weekend looking at your worksheets or your work phone. Uh, you know, if you had another day off, you may actually enjoy a full weekend. We'll have to wait and see if that four-day week will come in, Anthony. 
Anthony thank you for your WhatsApp uh, Joe yeah. it's a good one it's an interesting one and we'll all have to be aware of our work-life balance into the future and maybe do have the phone on silence and spend time with your family for the moment Joe uh, we'll leave it there and we'll chat to you again next Tuesday Thank you JP and uh, we might have a look at that screen time I think and, we should yeah. um, uh, what do we call it? Internet or phone addiction? Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's a, a needed one because people are, and not their own fault, but we are getting a bit carried away with the technology uh, in our life today. And I suppose it's, it's the way it's gone, but we do need to go back to basics some bit. For the moment, Joe, thanks for joining us and we will chat to you next week. That is Joe Heffernan, our regular show counsellor, and you can contact him on 086 834 Tomorrow morning, we're with you back again from 10am. One of the issues discussing is regarding the amount of dogs that have been abandoned the Cork Animal Charity has concerns. We'll speak with them and much more tomorrow morning from 10am. Enjoy your Tuesday. Thanks to Bernie for producing. I'm John Paul McNamara.